Well, it's good to see you all this morning. I was thinking as we had uh, have our names there underneath all of our faces, it's sort of like virtual name tags. It's kind of neat to uh, to have all our name tags on there and uh, to be able to put put names to so many familiar faces that we haven't been able to see in, good grief, almost two months now. So anyway, it's great to, great to see you. Um, our older daughter has been with us this week, and uh, she's got allergies. And so across the house every now and again, you'll hear some sneezes. And when she's been in the same room, of course, you know, whenever you hear somebody say, um, when somebody sneezes, you say, God bless you. And I began thinking, where in the world do we get that custom? Uh, God bless you for a sneeze. It's not particularly a spiritual experience, and yet uh, it's something that we assign blessing from God. It, it's really more of just uh, something to say, isn't it? We don't really think about God blessing somebody when they sneeze. Well, I did a little research on it to try to figure out where in the world we get this crazy custom, and I found some pretty funny uh, uh, traditions or or explanations of how we how we say or why we say God bless you when we sneeze. Uh, some say that it wards off evil spirits from entering your body. Like for that brief moment, you know, you're, you're vulnerable to evil spirits. As soon as you sneeze, somehow there's a window to your soul. In which I thought, you know, then probably the most uh, demonic place on the planet is the aisle at the grocery store with Kleenexes because the the demons would just kind of wait there and and uh, follow the people home who had all the sniffles. So it's probably not not uh, not where where it comes from. Um, it it probably comes as best I could tell from the sixth century when Pope Gregory, during a plague, he decreed that any time a sneeze was heard, that the sneezers were to be blessed by God uh, as protection against the plague. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's almost uh, almost as crazy as um, demons waiting on the Kleenex aisle. But I think best I can tell that's where that custom comes from, and it's stuck with us ever since, ever since the sixth century. Amazing. You've heard uh, we say God bless you. In other languages, uh, we uh, say Gesundheit, which is German for health. So that's that's a little better, uh, more in line with a sneeze is wishing them good health as opposed to God blessing them. Um, in Bengali, Jibo, when somebody sneezes, you say Jibo, and that means stay alive. <laughs> and uh, I think in Spanish, what is it? Salud means health. So we've got all these different responses for, um, for when somebody sneezes. But God bless you. That's what we say. Well, to to be blessed by God or to say God bless you is really a benediction. It's really a, uh, a blessing like when a minister, for example, when a minister at the end of a uh, service, we don't really do it in our tradition, but there are a lot of traditions that will um, the minister will give a benediction at the end. In fact, it may even be in the bulletin listed as benediction. Oftentimes, that just means the organ's going to play for like five minutes. But a benediction is supposed to be when, uh, personally, when a priest would put his hand on the head of somebody. 
and uh, would would ask God's blessing on that person. And if a person, if a priest couldn't put his hand on on the head of the whole congregation, he would lift his hands to uh, in front of the congregation and would pronounce the the blessing or the benediction. This is kind of uh, probably a more biblical way of uh, of saying God bless you. Well, let's look together at. Uh, another psalm, Psalm 134. We looked at Psalm 133 last week, where we talked about how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity, when people dwell together in unity. And it talks about blessing, blessing that comes from God. It's like the blessing, the blessing of God is like the dew of Mount Hermon that that uh, that comes down and refreshes the land of Israel. It's like the oil from on Aaron's uh, beard and his robes and on his head that uh, that are ultimately bless the nation Israel. Blessing ultimately comes from God. That Psalm taught us, and unity is that type of blessing. Psalm one thirty four kind of comes right along after that, not just because it's Psalm one thirty four, but also in a theme that makes sense for us when we think about blessing. Uh, We pray for blessing for people, and uh, it's not just something we do when people sneeze. It's something we do like like Jim just did when he prayed for the needs of the class. We We are praying God's blessings on people, people that desperately need to hear, desperately need to receive the the blessing of God. Psalm 134 is uh, another of the Psalms of Ascents. In fact, it's the last one, the Psalms of Ascents. And as we've said uh, in the weeks past, Psalms of Ascents were those songs that the Hebrew pilgrims would sing as they would make their way north, or as they would make their way up. See, here I am in my Western mindset. Up is not just north, but up is elevation. To Jerusalem for the feasts three times a year. They would make their way uh, up to Jerusalem and sing these songs that were repeated themes. Several times a year, they would have these repeated themes that are very practical in their walk with God and in their relationships with people. Psalm 134 is very relevant, not only in our walk with God, but also in our relationships with people. The Psalms of Ascents, and uh, Psalm 134 is the last of those. So, again, a very short psalm. Some of these are pretty quick and easy, be easy to to learn. Let's look at the first couple of verses here of Psalm 134. Let me uh, read this while you follow along. It reads, Behold, bless the Lord, all servants of the Lord, who serve by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the sanctuary and bless the Lord. We know from uh, the book of 1 Chronicles that the priests were on duty 24-7, day and night, kind of like uh, pastoral staff today. It seems like they're on staff. They're on call 24 hours. Well, priests of old, uh, they had different shifts, and there were some that worked in the day, and there were some that worked at night, and there was to be a perpetual praise to God going on in the house of the Lord or in the sanctuary. And the servants of God that are pictured here are the priests, those whose job it was to praise the Lord day and night. Now, I remember the first time I read this psalm, or at least the first time I paid attention to uh, the detail that caught my attention, I thought, that's kind of weird, kind of odd. 
why would people encourage priests or those whose job it was to praise the Lord? Why would they encourage them to praise the Lord? I mean, that's their job. That's what they're there doing. Why would you have to tell people whose job it is to praise the Lord to praise the Lord? And I think the answer to that is because it's really easy to just do your job and not praise the Lord. It's real easy to just go through the motions. Notice verse 2 says, Lift up your hands to the sanctuary and bless the Lord. See, we're not lifting up our hands to the sanctuary, but to the one who's in the sanctuary. We're not just going through the motions. This is a call for those who are the priests or the servants of God, not just to go through the motions, but to actually praise the Lord. To bless the Lord. Um, just listen, if you would, to a, a verse from 1 Peter. Uh, it's a verse you're probably familiar with, but 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You might jot that reference down, uh, but just listen to 1 Peter 2, verse 9. Peter writes to Christians, But you are a royal, I'm sorry, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that, in other words, here's the purpose for you being a priest, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I read this because it's helpful for us to remember in a big, broad sense, in a, in a biblical sense, that we are priests. It doesn't mean we're professionals. It doesn't mean that we're like the pastoral staff at church. Uh, everybody in this room, as far as I know, is a layman, myself included. We don't get paid by the church. We serve voluntarily. And this is a call, 1 Peter 2.9 reminds all Christians that God sees us, in a sense, like he saw Israel. In fact, First uh, Peter two nine, Peter is quoting from the Old Testament that Israel was a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. He's not saying that the church is Israel, but he's saying that the church is like what Israel was like. That is, that God saw Israel as the mediators between a lost world and a holy God, between those who were in darkness and those. And God who had who was in marvelous light. And our job as priests is to, as Peter said, proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness. So we are not only mediators, but we are mediators who have experienced both sides of the spectrum. We've been in the darkness, and we know what that's like. We've been in the light. We know what that's like. And so as priests, we are in the middle in the sense that we are the ones who invite other people out of the darkness and into the light. I say all that to say about us being priests, because when we look back at Psalm 134, we can impose the principle of us as, being, as, us as priests of God upon Psalm 134. And it reminds us that this uh, Psalm 134 is challenging not just the professionals, but all of us who are priests of God, to not just go through the motions. I mean, here we are, we've, we've logged into our Zoom, 
we're, uh, we've got our Bibles open in our laps. Uh, we've, we've bowed our heads and prayed with the class. But it, it's so easy to just go through the motions, isn't it? And even daily, day to day, we open our Bible, we read through our uh, one-year reading or whatever our devotional reading might be for that day. We check a box, we close the, uh, we close the Bible, and then we go kick the dog. <laughs> you know, it's, it's such a challenge, isn't it, to, um, to bless the Lord and to go through the motions, to not go through the motions and actually live the Christian life. Well, Psalm 134 is reminding those of us who are servants of God, who are in the place where we're supposed to be, who are lifting our hands as we're supposed to be, to actually bless the Lord, that our walk with Him is to be genuine. So, here's a principle. I've got a couple of principles from this psalm. The first one is uh, so practical, and, and we've mentioned it here, but I'll just say it in very short terms in case you want to jot it down. But the first principle is this. Our blessing of God should be personal, not perfunctory. Our blessing of God should be personal, not perfunctory. In other words, it should be real. We shouldn't just be going through the motions. Now, there's nothing wrong with going through the motions as long as they're real. There's nothing wrong with what the priests were doing as long as they were truly um, loving God and praising God. So we are, by, by principle, we are priests, as Peter tells us, and Psalm 134 gives us good application. Uh, I have a little book in my library called Children's Letters to God. It's a great uh, book that's published of uh, actual letters that different children have written to God. And, of course, children are so honest, they don't know to hide the truth, or at least to, uh, to hide the obvious questions. And in it, this one child writes this very short letter, and it's really a question to God. He writes, Dear God, is Reverend Co. a friend of yours, or do you just know him through business? I like the honesty of children, but at the same time, it's very unsettling. Because we've got to ask ourselves that same question. Are we God's friend, or are we just professionals? Are we just... uh, paint it all on. The first principle is that our blessing of God should be personal, not perfunctory. The first couple of verses here is one who has been, is one who has been blessed of God. God has blessed us, and so we respond by blessing Him. But now, we're going to change that perspective and now look uh, at a a different perspective, that is, our relationship with other people. Look at verse 3. It says, May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. So now we've moved from the people talking to the priest to the priest responding to the people. In the first couple of verses, the challenge is uh, priests you who praise the Lord or you who bless the Lord, be sure and bless the Lord. Then the priests respond in kind, verse 3, may the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. It's really a short form of what the priests were commanded to bless the people in Numbers chapter 6. So if you would, keep your finger here in Psalm 134 and turn back 
to Numbers chapter 6. And while you're turning there, I'm going to share my screen with you. If I can. And make sure that you're getting the right one. So let's see. Nope, you're looking at the audio recording, aren't you? Well, there it is. We've been going 16 minutes, 33 seconds, in case you're interested. That's not the screen I want to share with you. I'm trying to give you this screen. Okay, let me get my technology down here. I'll share that screen with you and see how that goes. All right. So here is a map of Jerusalem. And maybe I can enlarge, enlarge it a little bit. At the southern end of Jerusalem, there is this valley called the Hinnom Valley. This says Valley of Hinnom. And right down about this area, right down here, there was discovered a, uh, a very interesting find, a very interesting archaeological discovery called the Katif Hinnom Amulets. If we uh, look at this next slide here, you can see this... Uh, this man is standing by this hole, and you can't really tell by looking, but these rocks or this stone chiseled out area is a burial site, actually. It is where uh, people were buried, and you can see, like, here's a place where a head would lay, and then the, so the body was laid out here. You can see another head would be laid here, and the body was laid out here, and he's got his hand in, in another niche where heads would be laid. So, you know, you'd basically just lay out a bunch of a bunch of bodies right here, and it was probably covered. This is it wasn't just open like this. Well, inside this uh, tomb was another set of burial places, and this uh, this man, his name is Dr. Gabriel Barkai. He was actually the archaeologist who discovered what was inside here, and what was discovered was this uh, let's see if I can play this for you. These amulets were basically little copper scrolls and, or silver scrolls that were found inside this tomb. And this is in the Israel Museum. When Kathy and I were there uh, a couple months ago, I took this video. You can see what the, the scrawl was there on it, and now I'm moving over to the right side where they did a reproduction of the tomb itself. So inside that hole that I showed you uh, was found these items, a skeleton of a woman and these uh, pots. But what was significant is that these amulets were found by the corpse or by the, the skeleton of this woman. And the amulets, you, of course, we can't read them, and even if we could see the markings on them in Hebrew, it would be impossible for us to read because they're, they're so small. 
But what was written on these amulets was the priestly blessing from Numbers chapter 6. And the significance of it, let me uh, get back to the screen here, the significance of it is that these scrolls were the earliest copies of Scripture that we have. They represent the earliest copies of Scripture that we have, and they date from the time of Solomon, from the first temple. So these are very old, and, and apparently this woman who died was a woman of faith, and she uh, wanted to be buried with uh, these copper scrolls. You know, sort of like uh, we would be buried with a scripture verse that means something to us. And this woman was buried with the verses from Numbers chapter 6, the priestly blessing right at the end of the chapter that we're familiar with. So look at uh, Numbers 6 right at the very end of the chapter, and let's look at these familiar verses. Number 6, starting at verse 22. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. And they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel and I then will bless them. Notice in verses 25 and 26, those two different phrases. Verse 25, be gracious. And in verse 26, give you peace. Be gracious, give you peace. Or grace and peace. Does that sound familiar? Grace and peace? What, uh, where else in the Bible do we hear the phrase grace and peace? In so many of Paul's letters, we hear that. In, in the introductions that he will write, he will say, grace and peace to you. This uh, was basically a summary of the priestly blessing from Numbers chapter 6. And what we saw in uh, Psalm 134 is the same thing, where it says that, may the Lord bless you. Um, Let's see, in verse 3, he says, May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. This is a summary or a a succinct way of saying Numbers chapter 6, just as Paul in his epistles would say grace and peace. Um, In my many years at uh, Insight for Living, I had the privilege to get to know Nay Bailey. I don't know... uh, if you know Nay, she goes to our church. She's a wonderful woman of God. She's been on the board of Insight for Living for many years, and through that uh, participation, I got to, got to know her uh, pretty well through the years. And I'll never forget her encouraging words to me after my, uh, she read my book, Waiting on God. She mentioned that she really appreciated what I had to say about my mom. My mom uh, was an alcoholic and uh, died a uh, pretty tragic death uh, some years ago, back in 2004. And it was a very difficult time for our family, especially those uh, those last years of her life. And uh, anyway, Nay is such an encourager, and she, uh, I, I guess I'd forgotten about her story with her dad, but her dad was similar in the, in the sense that uh, he struggled with alcohol, and therefore Nay, as many Others did in their family struggled with the father. 
Well, anyway, I remember years ago that Kathy and I were interested, uh, were introduced to uh, a talk that Nay gave to an audience. It was a talk called Bringing God into the Negative. Bringing God into the Negative. And uh, we're actually going to send you, we have an email scheduled to go out today about 10.15. So in about 20 minutes, you're going to get an email that has this talk by Nay Bailey, as well as the audio recording, as well as the transcript. So you can print it out, you can read it, uh, but but I really encourage you to listen to it if you've got the ability to do that with, uh, with figuring out how to, you know, click a link and listen to, a, to an MP3. But it's called Bringing God into the Negative. And I won't share with you the whole gist of what she says because I would love for you to really listen to that talk. But in it, she reads from James chapter 3. And uh, I'd like to read from James chapter 3. You don't need to turn there. You're welcome to turn there. But... Uh, just listen to James chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. James writes, No one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. I want to read to you a portion of uh, Nay's talk. Nay mentions that a friend of hers uh, shared with her this true story. Uh, Nay was talking with this friend about these verses. Basically, Nay said, Nay asked the friend, Hey, what does this verse mean? And the friend shared with Nay this story. So listen as Nay describes this story. These are Nay's words. In Portland, Oregon, there was a fundamental Bible-believing pastor and this pastor and wife had great trouble with their son. It was a different kind of uh, trouble than she'd mentioned earlier with a, another example. But she said this particular son had been very rebellious and had taken up a lifestyle and had left home about four or five years before, and they hadn't heard a word from him in all those years. The pastor went to a Christian counselor that he knew well, and he poured out his heart to this counselor. The counselor knew him well enough that he could really shoot straight with him. And after the pastor poured out his heart, he looked at him and the counselor looked at him and said, How long have you been cursing your son? Now, that's something to tell a, a fundamental Bible believing pastor. And he said, What do you mean, how long have I been cursing my son? And he said, Well, the word curse means to speak evil of or to not speak well of. And everything you've just told me, there is in some way you not speaking well of your son. How long have you been doing that? The pastor hung his head and said, Well, I guess I've been cursing him all his life. I've never had a nice thing to say about him, ever. The counselor said, well, that hasn't worked, has it? And the pastor said, no. And he said, well, I want to challenge you and your wife to do something. I want to challenge you and your wife for the next two months. When your son comes to mind, I want you to bless him. I want you to pray God's blessing on him. When you speak of your son in your home, I want you to try to remember something good about him. I want you to speak well of him. And the pastor said, well, I've got nothing to lose. I'll take you up on that. So he went home. He and his wife agreed, and they began. They prayed for their son, and they prayed God's blessings on their son. And when they spoke of him, they tried to remember good things about him. And that was tough for them to do, but they did it day after day. After about 10 days, the pastor was in his study. True story. 
telephone rings, and you guessed it, on the other end was the son. And the son said, Dad, I, I'm, I'm not really sure why I'm calling you, but I've just had this sense over the last, uh, I've really had you on my heart, on my mind for these last weeks, and I thought I'd call and check in with you. The father said, well, great, son, I'm glad you're calling. And he tried to contain himself and not come right through the phone. And they chatted for a few minutes, and the father said, well, son, I don't know if you can find it in your heart or not, but how about meeting with me on Saturday for lunch? And he said, sure, dad, I'll meet you. And the day came for lunch, and the son came in in his ragged clothes, and his hair was long, and he was all disheveled. And whereas before, the father would have gotten right on his case and been very critical and judgmental, this time, he went in with an attitude of accepting his son and blessing him in his heart. He asked him some questions, he listened, he affirmed where appropriate, and at the end of that lunch, the son looked across the table and said, Dad, I don't know what's going on here but I've actually enjoyed being with you. And the father said, well, I've enjoyed being with you too. And the son said, do you think maybe just for tonight I could come home and spend the night in my old bed and just see the family? And he said, sure, son, we'd love to have you. And as the father walked through the rest of that day, he was stricken in his heart. He was smitten in his heart to realize what a difference it had made to stop cursing his son and to start blessing him. And that night, when the son was in his bed, in his bedroom, the father went in there, sat down and said, Son, will you please forgive me for all the ways I've treated you through the years? And the son said, Sure, Dad, I'll forgive you. And that was the beginning of a restoration of that relationship. But what was the real beginning? The real beginning, Nay says, is when that father and mother began to bless their son in their hearts. And Nay goes on to share how that story impacted her and her relationship with her father, but I'll let you listen to that, the rest of that in her own words. But that really relates to Psalm 134. Because the first couple of verses of Psalm 134 are a challenge to us as, as priests, as it were, to make sure that our relationship with God is genuine. And then verse 3. Verse 3, we the priests turn around and bless others. We the priests turn around based on the relationship that we have with God, and we bless other people. That blessing is now turned around to others, and we bless them. The first couple of verses and the third verse go together. Out of our relationship with God that's genuine, we turn around and we bless other people. And it says, may the Lord bless you from Zion. Has, has God ever blessed Israel from Zion, from Jerusalem? He absolutely has. Remember, Zion was Mount Moriah. That's where uh, Abraham was told to sacrifice Isaac. It's on Mount Moriah that David bought the threshing floor of Arana. It's where Solomon built the temple. It's where all the sacrifices were made. It's where Jesus taught. And not far from Mount Moriah, about 300 yards west, is where Jesus died and rose again. God did bless Israel and the rest of us from Zion. And it's from that place of grace that we also can turn around and bless other people. So, I mentioned there were two principles. The first one, we've already said that our blessing of God should be personal, not perfunctory. And the second one is this, our blessing of others should be genuine from a heart of grace. Our blessing of others should be genuine from a heart of grace. Again, here in about 15 minutes, you're going to get that link to Nay's talk, and I hope that 
I hope that you'll listen to it. It'll be an encouragement to you, especially if you're struggling to bring God into the negative of your life. For the Hebrews, it was a real journey, the Psalms of Ascents. You would actually get on the road and walk up to Jerusalem. And best I can figure of the course of three times a year, uh, if you lived, you know, 70 years, you'd be going up to Jerusalem about 200 times. And so 200 times at least in the course of a life, you would sing these psalms. You would be reminded over over 200 times in your life of uh, these essential themes. And this one is so relevant, isn't it? To make sure that our walk with God is genuine, not perfunctory, and that we genuinely will bless others. So, uh, next time somebody sneezes and you say, God bless you, maybe think a little deeper then simply goes on tight. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful to you for these uh, short psalms and the psalms of ascents. They give us such a practical reminder, and Psalm 134 is no exception, as we are challenged to make sure that our walks with you are not perfunctory, that we're not just going through the motions, but that from the heart, we are truly blessing you, that we truly have a walk with you that is genuine. And from that as a foundation, we turn around and we become the blessing, the source of blessing for others, just like the priests in Numbers chapter 6 would pray, uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance on you, and give you peace. This is how the priests were blessing Israel, and this is how we turn around and and ask for grace and peace in the lives of others. And Father, we pray for any here today that have an overwhelming sense of negative in their life. Nay's example was family, but it could be a former boss. It could be a, a neighbor across the street. It could be someone that we haven't seen in years, but as soon as their name comes to mind, we curse and do not bless. I pray that you would give us a change of mind and a change of reference, that we would begin blessing and not cursing. As James writes, out of the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Give us a mindset that blesses, and we'll leave the results with you. And we pray in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.